Do you ever find it hard to live the Christian life? Sometimes I do. I was working away one night, paying bills and going through some financial stuff at home, and I came across the number of what Karen and I are giving in tithe, and I, I just it stopped me, and I thought, man, if I weren't a Christian, if I could spend that money on myself, I would not be driving the rusted Hulk that I'm driving right now. I would have a much nicer ride. See, it's super easy to spend money on myself. It's hard to give that over to the Lord for his purposes and trust him to provide for me. Or maybe you've had, like I've had, a relationship that's getting very difficult. It's getting painful. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe at work. And sometimes in the midst of that, I have thought to myself, man, if I weren't a Christian, I could just tell this person off and walk away from it. But because I am a Christian, I need to do the hard work to forgive them and to enter in and try to discover what am I contributing to the breakdown in this relationship and to press into yet one more conversation that's going to be difficult and uncertain and may or may not go well. So it's easy for me to tell somebody off and walk away. It's hard to forgive and live that Christian life. And so the question comes up sometimes in our hearts, doesn't it? Do I have what it takes to live this Christian life? Do I have it in me? Do I have the strength? Do I have the energy? Do I have the the sort of resoluteness that will give me what I need to live in this way? This is a very important question if you are a Christian here this morning because you need to know, will I have what it takes and where will I get what it takes to live this Christian life over time, over the lifespan? And maybe you're here this morning, you're not yet a believer, you're exploring, you're kind of interested. You need to know about this because you need to know, what am I getting into? If I go this way, what will the Christian life expect from me and what will it offer for me? I want us to look at that together. And for our council this morning, we're going to turn to the first letter of Peter. Because Peter is writing to Christians who are being asked to do something that they feel just how hard it is to live the Christian life. Peter writes to them, remember they've been, they're people who are being insulted for being Christians. They're being threatened for being Christians. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had, and be ready to suffer too. Those people that Peter is writing to, they must all be thinking, you know, when I was a pagan, when I was living in the sort of Greco-Roman pagan world, nobody made fun of me for that. I just lived the whole party life, the whole temple thing, and, and nobody got on my case about it. But now that I'm following Jesus Christ, and I'm actually living a moral life, now I get made fun of, and now I need to be ready to suffer. And Peter must intuit, as a pastor, he gets that they're probably, some of them thinking, wouldn't it be easier to just go back to my old life? Which is why he says, I think, in verse 2, if you, uh, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. That's what you used to do. But press on, you'll be anxious to do the will of God. It's right here, you see, when you and I press up against something that is hard in the Christian life, and we're not sure we have what it takes, 
that we suddenly have two options before us. We have a choice. And the choice is this. We can fall back into our old life, what Peter calls chasing after our own desires. Or we can press forward somehow into this new life, this life with God, and we can do what Peter calls do the will of God. Let's look at those two options. Now, you, you would probably think, well, why are we even talking about this as an option? Falling back into the old life? That's not much of an option. You're preaching to Christians. Why don't you just call everybody? Well, here's what Peter recognizes, is that in verse 3, these things, uh, these things in the past, the evil things that godless people enjoy, immorality and lust, feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and worship of idols, all that comes really easy. You don't have to go to college to learn how to do that, although a lot of people do go to college and learn how to do that. Right? It's instinctive. It's natural. It's easy. But Peter says, but before you just fall back into that, can we take a full picture of what that life is like? He says there in verse 2, remember, you'll be chasing your own desires. In other words, you're not going to satisfy your own desires. You're going to be chasing after him. You're going to be like a dog chasing a car. You never catch it. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, if you make your life all about you and your pleasure and your happiness, you lose it. And what he means by that is, as soon as you make happiness your goal, as soon as you make pleasure what you're after in life, you make that impossible to attain. You just took it off the list of possibilities for your life because you said you're going after that. And Jesus said, if you try to save your life, if you try to find your life in that way, you'll lose it. That is, there's no hope there. You're going to chase your desires, but you're never going to satisfy them. You're looking for security. You're looking for meaning in life. You're not going to find it in immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, and wild parties. And in fact, he says in verse 4, he uses the, the, the verb destructive, or the adjective destructive. You no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, and so the people who still do slander you. See, why is it destructive? Because that kind of life is all about me, is it not? See, like if I meet somebody at a party and I'm living in that kind of lifestyle, I'm not thinking, wow, you seem like an awesome person. How could I invest in your life in some meaningful way? I'm thinking, I wonder what's in this for me at the end of the evening. See, it's all selfish. It's all, it's all, it's a giving. Instead of a giving life, it's a taking life. Instead of a life of love, it's a life of, of lust and satisfying my needs. And that destroys people. It destroys the people that you interact with and it ends up destroying you. And Peter says in verse 5, really don't kid yourself, those people who've committed to that life will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Now, a God who will judge everyone is not really a God that we believe in here in America. Tom Chavone sitting right here. I remember Tom telling me when he grew up in the Catholic Church back in the 50s and 60s, the priests were very clear. There is a righteous and holy God. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a day when God examines the motives and the actions of every life. And then, as he explained, along came the 70s. And they sent out new priests. And the new priests said, hey, there's a new cool kind of God. And everybody in America believes in the new, cool kind of God. We're all like, I'm sure God will grade on the curve. I'm sure that God will revise the SAT so my scores go up. I'm sure that he'll understand that I'm a sinner, so I need an untimed test. I know he'll work it out for me. And we deny 
the fact that there is a God who will judge. So if you're thinking about this option, wouldn't it be so much easier? Yeah, in a way it would be. Know that it is a godless life that destroys other people and yourself and ends in the judgment of God. Okay, but Peter says there's another option for you. Although it doesn't look like it, you can press into this life and do the will of God. And he shows us that in, starting in verse 7. He gives us four clear commands that are examples of what God's will is for us. One per verse. The first one comes in verse 7. He says, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. In verse 8, show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, so it's pray earnestly, love deeply. Verse 9, share your home cheerfully with those who need a meal or a place to stay. And the last example he gives is in verse 10. Use your spiritual gifts well to serve one another. So this, could it be any more clear what God's will is? What a life looks like that's doing God's will. You're, you're, you're praying earnestly. You're loving deeply. You're sharing your home cheerfully. And you're using your spiritual gifts to serve one another freely. And you go, yeah, but that's just it. That's hard. To get up and, and to, to pray earnestly and with some discipline means I need to manage my schedule. It means I need to get out of bed in the morning. That's hard. I don't like that. The house is cold in the morning. I don't like getting out to a cold house. Right? And I haven't had my coffee, and so I stumble around, and I can't think. And so that is hard work. Rolling over and staying in bed, easy. See? Or take verse 8, showing deep love to each other and letting it cover over this person's irritatingness, their wrongheadedness, the fact that they don't see something that's so important to you. That's hard. Telling them off and getting them out of your life, actually relatively easy. Okay, how about uh, cheerfully sharing your home? That's hard. I know because we had people into our home last Tuesday. It, it means you, you take the, the load of unfolded laundry and you stuff it in the closet so that when people bring their coats into the room and put them on your bed, they won't see it there, right? That's what it means. That's hard. What's easy is getting into your sweats and watching Netflix. That's easy. Okay, what's hard is using your gifts well to serve one another. What's easy is not stepping out and doing that because your own life's so busy. You don't have the time or energy and you're stressed out and just making life work. You're just trying to keep your head afloat, okay? So, this is the question, is it not? If we can't go back, how do we go forward when that seems so very hard? And the key is in verse 11. And this is so profound. I think many Christians miss this. And Peter says, don't miss this. Verse 11, he says, okay, here's how all this works. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. You go, I don't know if I have the gift of speaking. I don't always know what to say. Peter says, that's okay because God himself will speak through you. See, you'll be speaking, but God's words will be coming through you as well. Do you see that? Okay, so if you'll step out and use your spiritual gift of speaking, God himself will speak through you. And then he gives another great example. He says, do you have the gift of helping others? You go, man, I don't have the energy. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Who's giving you the strength and energy to do it? God is. 
So what Peter's saying is, this life is too hard for you to do on your own, but it's easy if God's in you, doing it with you. So it's like, yes, you're serving somebody else, but God's giving you the strength and energy to do it. Yes, you're opening your mouth and saying something that needs to be said, but God is speaking through you. It's this amazing mystical partnership, and I think this is amazing good news. Because what it means is, God's not going to ask you to do anything that he's not going to help you to do. If it's God's will for you, he's going to give you the power to do it. And that changes the whole ballgame right there. Now, this is such an important principle of the Christian life. It's basically life in the Holy Spirit. But it is a little hard to understand, right? Because you're serving, but God's serving through you and giving you energy. You're speaking, but God's speaking through you. That I want to be very clear about what this is like. And I just want to talk to you as a pastor about some things I've learned about this mystical partnership where God lives the Christian life through you and makes it possible. All right, the first thing I just want to share with you is this. When will God give you what you need? Not until you need it. When will God give you what you need? When you need it. Not till then. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have, where I'm driving over to somebody's house on Saturday to help them move. And as I'm driving there, I'm thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this. I know I should have said no. I need better boundaries. I got a lot of stuff I got to get done today myself. Basically, what am I saying? I don't have the strength and energy that I need to go do this. When do I get the strength and energy? When I pick up the first box. Then, all of a sudden, God is with me, giving me a strength that I didn't know I had. And many times now, I've had this where when I'm driving my van home from helping the person move, I'm actually kind of upbeat. I'm going, that was awesome. I'm really glad that we were able to help that person out. Went, the move went pretty well. And isn't it great that I'm helping them at a time when they really need it? Now, what has just happened? God has said, if you'll step out, if you'll use your gift of helping others, then I'm going to be right there with you, giving you strength and energy. I'm the supplier of that for you. And you were waiting until you had the strength and energy to do it. God's like, no, no, I'll give it to you when you get there. Now, there are lots of examples of this principle in the scripture that God gives us what we need, not until we need it. Look at Luke 12, 12. I guess it's not in your bulletin, but I'll read it for you. He's talking to his followers who are going to suffer persecution. When you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you when, at that time, what needs to be said. When are you going to have that wisdom from on high, that incontrovertible witness for Jesus Christ when you're under pressure? Are you going to have it beforehand when you think you need it? No. You're going to have it when you need it. You'll get it then. And that's the way all the spiritual gifts, the spiritual life works. There are so many pictures of this in the Bible. When do you get the manna that you're going to need to eat today? That morning. God does not drop refrigerated boxcars of manna that you can live on for six months. He gives you what you need when you need it. One of my favorite pictures of this in the Bible is when the people of God, they've been delivered from slavery in Egypt, they come right up to the promised land. They're right there. They're ready to go into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And there's one thing that's standing in their way, a big river, the Jordan River. And not only it's a big river, it's in flood stage. So the waters are up over the banks. It's raging. If we try to cross that, a lot of people are going to drown. A lot of animals are going to drown. A lot of equipment's going to be ruined. 
And so, wouldn't it be nice if God would do what he did back there at the Red Sea 40 years ago and just part the water, dry up the seabed, and let us walk through easily? Then that would be easy to walk through. But what does God do? He says to them, okay, all you guys who are carrying the ark, the symbol of my presence, what I want you to do is come up to the bank of the Jordan, swollen, flooded, muddy, and step down into it. You're like, I'll be swept away. Just try it. When do the waters part of the Jordan so they can go through to the promised land? When they step in. And not until they step in. And some of you, you're standing here, you're like, I, I'd like to use my spiritual gifts, but I don't know that I have what it takes. I'm pretty sure I don't have what it takes. When are you going to get what it takes? When you step in. Right then. That's when it's coming. That's when God will give you what you need. If you just start serving, that's what will happen. Now, and if you don't, if you stand there and say, I'm not moving until the Jordan opens up, you're not getting to the promised land. That's just the way it works. My wife Karen has a great thing. When people come into her office and they're like, I really feel led by God to maybe do this ministry, but I'm not sure if I have what it takes. She says, here's, here's what you need. You need three things. You need vision, you need passion, and you need a sense of inadequacy. If you got that, you're good to go. Right? So you have a sense of inadequacy. It doesn't matter because God will give you what you need when you need it. Now, second principle that's important. You say, hey, I did that. I went and helped the person move. Actually, I didn't feel the wind in my sails on the drive home. It was just hard. It was like grabbing this leg calf with two hands and going like that and then going like this. That's what it felt like. It felt like I just muddled through. It felt like I was slogging through mud. That's what it felt like to me. That's okay because of principle number two. God will use you in a great way even if you don't feel it. You may have no idea at the moment that God is using you. Think about that. Actually, your feelings are a horrible and unreliable indicator of whether God is working through you. I know this because of the story Jesus tells in Matthew 25, where he says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, because I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. And what do they say? Really? When did we do that? We don't even remember that. We didn't think God was doing anything big through us at that moment. And yet it was an amazing moment when God was at work through them and they received eternal honor for what they just did. You see, God will use you even when you don't know it, when you don't think it, when you have no awareness that he's using you. When my daughter Anne was in fifth grade, she, her school put together a, a basketball league for the fifth and sixth grade girls in the school called A League of Our Own. And so she would go to the gym and, and one day she was playing basketball in a game there, a pickup game, and she put up a shot and it almost went in but fell back off the rim. And John Scheid, who's a member here, I, I don't see, are you here, John? I don't think I saw him. But anyway, he, he was a fifth grade teacher in the school and he was a coach there in the gym that day. So he said, good shot, Ann. And Ann turned and looked at him and she goes, but it didn't go in. And he's like, a shot doesn't have to go in to be good. Now, John didn't even think about that. He probably has no idea that I'm using this as an illustration or that it meant something to my daughter. My daughter, 11 years later, is still using that as a daily principle in her life. Don't give in to perfectionism. She's using it with her high school students as she's teaching them. Just go for it and put up the shot. 
Do you see how he, in that moment he had no awareness that God was doing anything through him. He was just doing his thing in the gym. But that gift of teaching, that gift of encouragement, but was used by God to put in a lasting teaching so powerful into a young person's life that's now being passed on to the next generation of students. That's how God will use you. And you may have no awareness of that at all. I, I don't, I've heard several times a testimony that goes something like this. The person told me, I said, how'd you come to the Lord? They said, well, I was in college. And this guy on my dorm floor came down and was talking about Jesus one night. And I just let him have it. I said, that is so shallow and silly and blah, blah, blah. And I just totally annihilated him. And then about, but after he left, he just kind of kept working on me. And I couldn't quite get rid of what he said. And about three months later, there was this thing on campus that was for Christians. And I decided maybe I'd go. And I ended up becoming a believer. And I thought, now what about that poor person who took the risk, went down the dorm floor and shared their faith? They walked away going, I'm a loser. I don't know why I stepped out and tried to do the gift of evangelism. I don't know why I took that risk. I thought God was going to meet me and give me the words to say. But obviously, he didn't. You know what? He did. God spoke through that person, even though they have no idea. They went away thinking they're a loser and a failure, and they brought that person to Jesus Christ. God will work through us even when we have no idea. And here's the, here's, let me just dial that up. Sometimes, the fact that you feel lousy as you're serving and stepping out in this way is not only not an indication that God's not using you, it may be an indication that he's going to use you all the more. And I know this because of the practice of my own spiritual gift, the exercise of the gift of teaching or speaking, where there's this thing that one writer calls the death cycle of a sermon. Here's how the death cycle works. And you can apply the same dynamic to whatever gift it is that God has given you. I sit down with the text and I start out with a sense of euphoria. Wow, this is going to be an exciting text. I've never preached this one before. And then I realize, oh my word, I have to really work to humble myself and sit under this text and let it tell me what to say and not me go and tell it what to say. Right? And then I realize, I have nothing to say. It doesn't matter if I've had a hundred sermons before this and everybody assures me they went, well, I can't feel that at that moment. All I feel is, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be the world's worst sermon in the history of the Christian church. I don't even know why I thought I could do this. And then I have to go in and wrestle in prayer against the dark forces of hell that are trying to oppose the proclamation of the gospel. I don't feel awesome so much of the time preparing and delivering messages. But I hang on to Isaiah 55 where God says, my word that goes forth from my mouth will not come back empty-handed. It's going to accomplish everything I sent it to do. So right now you go, I have no energy to open up my house one more time. God will give you that energy and you may feel horrible setting up and hosting, but God's going to bless that person and make them feel welcome and special. Maybe that's exactly what they needed at that moment in their life to know that God still cared. Do you see how it works? God will give you what you need when you need it, and he will use you even if you don't even feel it or are aware of it. But there's one thing you must do. Peter says if you have the gift of speaking, you've got to speak. If you have the gift of serving, you've got to serve. You've got to take that first step and step down into the Jordan, or you'll never cross over into the promised land. Now I have two words of application as we wrap up this morning. The first... As I was praying for this message, I did have a sense that there were some folks who, the Christian life is very hard for you right now. And because of that, you have actually, in your soul, started to kind of wistfully look back over your shoulder and think, wouldn't it be awesome to go back to that life I used to live? 
and you're kind of entertaining that idea. Can I just tell you the truth? That kind of self-pity is demonic. It'll take you to places you have no idea how wild and destructive it'll be. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy the people around you. And you'll have to face the judgment of God. But if you will, out of courage and hope, step forward and do the will of God, knowing I can't, but God in me can. I don't have what it takes, but God supplies it. Then God will honor you. God will use you in a profound way of which you may not even ever have a full knowledge until the day you walk into heaven and people say, I'm here because of something you did. That's why Peter says, if you'll do that, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen.